Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And we're sitting here in the brand new studios here at WFED using them for the first time. For the first time. And trying to get everything in operation. I believe this is the second live show here from our new studios near Friendship Heights. So this is Well, I'm just back from two weeks in Pakistan. I'm going to talk about my experiences there touring some of the educational institutions in both Karachi and Lahore. And I'll also share some of my experiences in Saudi Arabia, Oman, and other countries where I visited as it relates to education. Okay. Now, the Apple AirPods can be used for spying. I'll explain how this is done. Yeah, it's kind of a tricky deal. I tested it out on some. A friend of mine has some AirPods, and I checked it out. Spying works perfectly. Okay. And, of course... The Bird electric scooters are being hacked very easily. We didn't get to that a uh, couple of no, weeks ago. And you we're know, going to so talk about that. I didn't realize there are so many different versions of that scooter out there. But it there is. are probably a different ver- different hacks for different different versions it of it. It is. It's all over the place. And mm-hmm. then the Earth's magnetic pole has been officially moved. Has it really? The Earth's magnetic pole is moving at an accelerating rate. So we'll talk about exactly where it's going and, it has and where it's come from. It has effects on other things, right? Yeah. And a crypto boss died with all the passwords to the Bitcoin. And there's $190 million worth of Bitcoins that cannot be recovered. Interesting. That and so much more. This week, we're going to feature Irma Hoover. She's best known for inventing the computerized telephone switching method, which revolutionized modern telephone communication. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. There you go. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we got an email from Richard in Rockville. Hello, Richard and Jim. I got a February email from the Google team announcing that my personal Google Plus account would be going away on April 2nd. I've used ordinary Gmail for the past decade or so, but never subscribed or knowingly subscribed to Google Plus. I hope that my regular Gmail account will not go away or be harmed in any way. Can you advise Richard in Rockville? Well, the short answer, Richard, is that Google Mail and Google Plus are two different applications. Google Mail will continue. Now, they decided to get rid of Google Plus after a massive data exposure uh, because uh, they basically had a huge exposure of consumer data. The company finally admitted that Google Plus also never had broadband consumer adoption, so they decided after this big Google uh, security breach and the fact that it really wasn't used broadly that they would just end the Google Plus. So then they were trying to sign people up automatically for Google Plus, and that's probably what happened to you. Now, they did decide 
to continue Google Plus as an enterprise edition because apparently Google Plus was used for intercompany communication quite extensively, quite extensively, so they're going to continue that. But don't worry, Richard, your Gmail account is going to continue as always. We got an email from Betty in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, I'm 89 years old, and I've got a flip phone. <laughs> And I'd love to use Uber, but my phone will not install the Uber app. Oops. Uh-oh, we got something going on here in the studio. Studio's out of control. There we go. We're good. Oh, we're back. (laughs) There's so many new buttons. We're trying. It's like like Christmas. We're trying to get everything working properly. I I touched the wrong thing. Okay. I I think I know what I did wrong. Okay. And you know what's important, Doc? Yes. That you learn from your mistakes. Learn from the, exactly. So we'll just so just bear with us as we go through the show. We'll try to get everything working as best we can. We got some issues with the phone number. We're hoping that'll be resolved by the so by the quiz. I'm thinking when we get to the pop quiz, we're okay. going to have people. We're going to stage Conestoga wagons around the city. Okay. Put write your message down, your answer down, and find the nearest Conestoga wagon. We'll bring it over here. Perfect. That's okay. a perfect so by solution. Th- March first, we'll be able to have the answer. Okay, that is a perfect idea. We got an email from Betty in Fairfax. I'm 89 years old and only have a flip phone. I'd love to use Uber, but my phone will not install the Uber app. Of course it won't. It's a flip phone, not a smartphone. Can I use my iPad, which I use all the time, to order Uber? Um, That would save me a lot of money because cabs are expensive. Love to show Betty and Fairfax. Well, Betty, you absolutely can use your iPad or any other tablet uh, to order Uber or Lyft. All you have to do is download the Rider app on them and use it just as you would on the iPhone or smartphone app. Now, you do need a Wi-Fi or Internet connection because you have to connect it, and you, preferably it would be good to have GPS so they can find you. Now, this means if you want to use your iPad to come back home, you're going to have to go to a Starbucks or someplace where you can get on the Internet with, with a Wi-Fi connection. Now, the one disadvantage is that the driver cannot contact you. If, you know, like if, for instance, he can't find where you're standing and he calls you, the call doesn't go anywhere. So if, uh, And so for that reason— Uber and Lyft recommend using only a smartphone and not an iPad or a tablet. But, in fact, you can. And if you stand in a very clear place so the driver doesn't have to call you, you'll have no problem. We got an email from Feroz in Fredericksburg. Dear Tech Talk, I've got two Bose Quiet Comfort Bluetooth headsets and would like to connect them to my TV. I, you know, my Sony TV, unfortunately, is incompatible with them, which is a big disappointment. That's why I bought the Sony, so the connection failed. Now, I do have Apple TV, fourth generation, connected to my TV to stream media, to stream movies and all. What are my other options, Feroz and Fredericksburg? Well, Feroz, you are in luck. You can connect your Bose headset directly to your Apple TV. Make certain to install the latest firmware update on the earphones. You'll need to install the Bose Connect app on your cell phone or connect it to a headset. Then what you want to do is you, you connect it on your, your iPhone, then you, can, then you connect your iPhone or your Android phone to your headset, and then that particular application will automatically download and transfer the firmware update. I mean, I bought a, a new Bose headset that was manufactured December 18th. When I right out of the box, I had to install a firmware update, so you probably have to do that. The reason you want to get the firmware update is that the Bluetooth standards are evolving and you want to get the latest Bluetooth driver. Now, after completing the update on your headphones, all you need to do is compare them, is, is pair them to your Apple TV. So you go to your Apple TV, go to settings, then select remotes and devices. Hang on. Whoa. That was the uh, <laughs> the bumper music fired off. Another, we've so got another, another errand. <laughs> 
Another Aaron studio message coming through. I am now 0 for 2. <laughs> so what you do, you go to the Apple TV, you go to uh, set up settings, then you go to remotes and devices, and then select Bluetooth. At that moment, the Apple TV is in pairing mode. Then you turn on your headset and then push the push the on button all the way to the end, and then it will say you are now you know all the way to the end. It's kind of spring loaded. Just push it to the end, and and in about ten seconds it'll say you are in pairing mode. You can you take your finger off the connector then, and then you will automatically see. You'll automatically pair with the Apple TV. You'll see the name of the headset in the Apple TV. Just click on it, and you'll be connected. Now you can uh, you can actually pair to two headsets uh, with your Apple TV, or mul- you can you can pair to multiple headsets actually, but you can only play over one headset at a time. Uh, Bluetooth uh, uh, Apple TV supports Bluetooth five, which is the latest version, and Bluetooth five will allow you to stream multi- to up to two headsets at the same time. Now, the manufacturer has to implement that feature. It's in the standard. And from what I understand, and I haven't verified it, the Apple TV, which supports this is a you know fourth generation that supports Bluetooth five, has not been configured to support streaming to two to two headsets. But I haven't verified that yet. It turns out that your Bose headset is Bluetooth four point one, even though that's the latest Bose headset out there, and four point one does not support streaming to two headsets at the same time. So if you if you connect and start getting sound through one and then you try to get sound through the other one, the first one just turns off automatically. But it's a great way to listen to TV when you when you want to and keep everything quiet in the house. We got an email from Lynn in Houston. Dear Tech Talk, I love to use Pandora, but now I've got a problem. I shared my account with my children. So they could listen free of charge. In the beginning, Pandora didn't care. But now they're enforcing the one data stream rule. So now only one of us can listen at the same time. So, so what happens is I might be listening to, uh, you know, to Pandora and one of my kids turns it on and it says uh, somebody else is listening to it. And I've got to either cut them off or let them to continue listening. So this is beginning to be a bit contagious, contentious. Are there any options for me? I went to, the, uh, to my iPhone and they, they own, the, the premium plan I'm on is $12.99, but there's no way that I can get, say, a family plan there. Uh, and so, but I, so I'd like to get something that includes more people. Well, fortunately, Lynn, Pandora does have a family plan, but they don't have it on the iPhone or on the, in, on the, on the Apple Store or the, or the uh, Google Store because they don't want to pay that 30% commission. So if you want to get the family plan on Pandora, you've got to discontinue your subscription on either your Android phone or your iPhone. You go in there, and now in the case of the of the iPhone, they, they you know they make it hard to cancel subscriptions. That you know you launch settings and then you click on Apple iTunes and App Store and then you click on your Apple ID and then you click View Apple ID and then a window pops up. You enter your username or your and password or else your finger ID. And then you can tap subscriptions, and then you can tap the subscription you want to cancel. That uh, is quite easy. And then you have to wait for the month to, to end so that the subscription, because you, you basically bought a month at a time. So when the month expires, you have no subscription. Then you can log on to Pandora.com, log in with your regular account, and then you can select family plan for $14.99 a month. 
that you go from $12.99 to $14.99, you're on the family plan. Then you can add additional accounts for an additional $250 month for each account. So your kids are going to have to have their own Pandora account, and then you add their username, probably their email, for an extra $250 a month. So you can add them, and you can have up to six people for an additional $250 a month per person. So that's your cheapest option, and good luck with that. But this is a common problem, I think, for many people. Oh, there's another issue, say, on Netflix. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of people use multiple Netflix accounts. Netflix hasn't quite gotten as good at enforcing it yet, but I'm sure it is coming. Okay. We got an email from Arnie in Colorado Springs. Hi, Dr. Schertz. Climate change is a big deal, and I've read that data centers with massive computers and servers require a significant amount of power. How, how is solar wind and solar and wind energy going to be able to support these massive data centers? Curious about these high energy needs. Thanks, Arnie. Well, Arnie, the fact is Apple, Amazon, and Google are all making data centers that are purely based on re renewable energy. They all are, they're sending up these big solar solar panel, so fields of solar panels to do it. And they, but they have to then back that up with, with battery, banks of batteries, so they can store excess power in the day and then they can use it at night. Now, they also do something which is very important. They put these data centers where it's cool because you, you want to you take you want to take a maximum amount of the environment. Some of them. So act, Arizona will be bad. Arizona would be bad. I mean, they've got some data centers up in Ireland. And and, and what they like to do, what really works well, is if they're near a cool reservoir of water, they pump cold water through the system. Huh. And, and so they get actually cooling free. So they try to use thermal transfer as much as they can. In fact, um, They've, uh, they've also started putting data centers in boxes and dropping them down in the ocean. And then that gives them very good cooling, uh, and they just circulate water there. But, you know, so I, I think it's going to be a combination of solar and actually thermal transfer that's going to do it. But all the big companies, Apple, Amazon, and Google, are all dedicated to use only renewable energy for their data centers. We got an email from Doug in Baton Rouge. Dear Doc and Jim, I really enjoy your wonderful Tech Talk radio cast program. <laughs> I've saved it on my Apple iPad multiple, and, I've, and I've done multiple podcasts for transfer to my desktop computer via hardware connection for, here, for burning to a CD. However, I cannot find where the files are. And when I go to the iPad's podcast application, I see the saved icon simple next to the selected podcast. Short of going to the Apple store and paying for assistance, what are my options that I can try first? Thanks, Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Well, you downloaded, fortunately, all the podcasts using the Apple Podcast app. So even though it was free, Apple treats it as though these were purchased apps that you own. So these apps show up in your iTunes library automatically. So what you do is you open up your iTunes Media Manager, and you, uh, and then you open Settings, and then you click on Podcast, and you say Sync Podcast to On. And so you you want to sync podcast, turn that to on. That's the first thing. Then what you do is you plug your iPhone into your computer. When you get on the computer, you open up iTunes, and then in iTunes you pick iTunes Preferences, and then you. Tap the store tab, and then you choose sync podcast subscriptions. Now what will happen every time your iPhone is synced with your computer, the podcast will automatically be downloaded to the computer. You don't have to know where they're stored. Now, the and Apple does this all the time. They don't like you to go into the actual file directory and move things around. They, they think that the user is just too dumb to actually do that. So they try to insulate all that from the user. Now, 
What this technique does not work for, Doug, is that if you've downloaded podcasts outside of the Apple ecosystem, it will treat it as bootleg podcasts. It won't it won't synchronize. So if you if you want to go in directly to the um, to the file system on the iPad or the iPhone, there are third-party apps that will do that and can transfer the podcasts. And there are a number of them out there. I didn't recommend one because I haven't tried one yet. And, uh, and I'm not really sure if there's malware with it or not. I'll, I'll look around and see if I can get a recommendation for a third-party app that would be good for these non-Apple podcasts. But in your case, you don't need it. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, and we're heard here on the Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, broadcasting this morning from our brand-new studios near the Friendship Heights Metro, just across the Maryland, D.C. line. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk, and you can watch the, the see the brand-new studio. You can see us run around like nuts and watch me screw around with the shades we get the lights right for Periscope. We'll be right back in just a minute. most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking, and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Hang on a second. Vamp, vamp. Mr. Big Voice. And he, you know what? It's a big studio. Okay. He had to run out nope. for a smoke. Is he coming out he's there? Coming, he's coming back in a minute. Mr. Hang Big on. Voice. I see him running. There's a lot of real estate Okay. I know. There we go here. Wait a minute. He just tripped. Oh, no. Let's just he's go without up. him. You go ahead. Okay. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Profiles in IT. <laughs> That's the best we could do, to, you know, kind of simulating no, Mr. Big not. Voice. No, it's not. He just... Okay, here we go. Let's see. Profiles in IT. Okay. He, you know what? He's out of breath from running across the studio. That. Today we're going to feature Dr. Irma Schneider-Hoover. Huh? Irma... Erna, Dr. Erna Schneider Hoover. Okay. All right. We'll call her Dr. Hoover. <laughs> Is best known for inventing computerized telephone, the computerized telephone switching method. Uh, Mr. Where's that coming from? Mr. Big Voice, quit playing with the board over there. She is best known for inventing a computerized telephone switching method, which revolutionized modern telecom communications. Erna Schneider Hoover was born June 9th. 1926 in Irvington, New Jersey. She loved swimming, sailing, canoeing, and was interested in science at an early age. She was inspired 
by the biography of Marie Curie. So she was the woman scientist that discovered radioactivity. And then eventually she caught cancer because she was around all this radioactive stuff. They didn't know that it was dangerous when she was playing around with it. She graduated from Columbia High School in Maplewood in 1944. And then in 1948, she graduated with honors from Wellesley College with a degree in classical and medieval philosophy and history. You see, why Marie Curie inspired her is that Marie Curie was a scientist and a woman. And at that time when Hoover was growing up, women were not supposed to be scientists. It was like a man's world. But because Marie Curie actually became a scientist, uh, you know, many, many years ago, uh, Erna Hoover was inspired to move in that direction. In 1951, she earned a Ph.D. from Yale University in philosophy and mathematics. I like this combination of sort of liberal arts combined with um, – with, you know, with hard technology. Hoover was a professor at Swarthmore College from 1951 to 1954, where she taught philosophy and logic. However, she was unable to win tenure track. And at least there was speculation that it was because she was a woman and she was single. And they didn't think a single woman should be a tenured professor. I mean, this was back in the day. In 1954, after being passed over for tenure track, she joined Bell Labs as a senior technical associate, and she was promoted very quickly in 1956. Now, at that time, they were trying to switch over from these uh, massive switching networks that were actually mechanical switches, switching all these calls, calls around into computerized switches. This was they were doing the transition, and they had a problem. Whenever a call center was inundated with thousands and thousands of calls in a short period of time, and it would overwhelm the unreliable electronic relays, the entire system would freeze. Now, these incoming calls could be for a number of purposes. It could be actual a call. It could be a configuration signal coming in. It could be a billing data coming in, or it could be something else coming in. So what she decided to do, she used her knowledge of symbolic logic and feedback theory, and then she looked at the types of calls that were coming in. She wrote a software program that would analyze all the calls coming in, and then she would store calls that were not high priority and let the high priority calls go right through. So if it was like a, just a if somebody's trying to connect directly, she might let that go right through. But if it's just something routine like billing or record keeping, she would just store that and hold it until the, the system wasn't done. So she could basically she had an executive processor that would prioritize how the load was delivered to the switch. And this became known as stored program control. Uh, and so this actually revolutionized telephone switching at the time. Uh, now, she was thinking about this invention while she was in the hospital recovering after the birth of her second daughter. And this invention was transformative for Bell Labs. And they were worried that she invented it on her own time. And maybe they wouldn't control the patent. Uh-oh. So while she was still in the hospital recovering, Bell Labs lawyers showed up at bedside to get her to sign the patent so Bell Labs could control it. <laughs> it was a it was like a bedside visit with the with the with the attorneys. She signed the papers, Bell Labs owned the patent. And as a result of this invention, uh, call centers during peak load became much more reliable. Hoover was awarded a patent in 1971. Of course, Bell Labs owned it. 
And this was the first software patent ever issued. It was actually kind of a big deal. As a result, as a result of this thing, she became the first woman supervisor of a technical department of Bell Labs. Up to this point, only men ran departments. And so she was really breaking barriers as she went through her career. She headed the, the operations support department in 19, in, uh, in, uh, until 1987. Now, the principles of her invention are still being used in the telecom equipment industry today. Now, she also, while she was there at Bell Labs, worked on the development of the Safeguard anti-ballistic missile systems. Her department also worked on artificial intelligence methods, large databases, transactional software to, to support large telephone networks. She worked at Bell Labs for 32 years until retiring in 1987. She was a member of the Board of Trustees of the College of New Jersey, where she was described as a visionary who was instrumental in increasing the number of women faculty. She was elected to, uh, to, the, to the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2008. She received the Wellesley College Alumni Achievement Award um, thereafter. So there you go, Erna Schneider Hoover, a woman who broke all barriers in a man's world and revolutionized modern telecom communication. There you go. And that's Profiles in IT for this week. And Mr. Big Voice, while we were talking, has been fired. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM, HD2, 1039 FM, HD2. Watch us do the program and run around like nuts this morning because we're in a brand new studio in Friendship Heights, Maryland. You can watch us by downloading the Periscope app and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, 
Dr. Richard Schertz. Hey, that's our cue to talk. Okay, thank you, thank you. Please sit down. I know you're excited being in the new studio. Well, it's great that the new the new stadium seating has cup holders. It really and is nice. Yeah, they're sitting up there with their popcorn and their drink. You know, yes. just enjoying themselves. Just like you're at the movies. That's right. This Except- is a. Yes, this is not really just a radio show. This is a classroom of the airways, and that means there's going to be a pop quiz to see whether you have been listening. Early in the show, we talked about Erna Schneider-Hoover. She was best known for inventing the computerized telephone switching method that uh, known as stored program control, and she's uh, just broke all the barriers for a woman. But there was someone who actually inspired her to become a scientist. Who was that person? Okay. If you know the answer to today's question, well, for crying out loud, pick up your phone and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 202-885-5004. If you're calling from west of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 202-885-5004. If you're going for a swim this morning in Canada, call us on the wild card line, 202 202- 885-5004. Anyone else anywhere else may call us on the wild card line. 202-885-5004. And now once again, here's Dr. Richard Church. Now, of course, if you are out in a remote area of the world, you can reach us by Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1. And the call will come to the studio free of charge. But because yes, we are having trouble news, the phones with the, don't work. Yeah, the phones don't work. You can email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. And I'm checking my cell phone, and I will receive those emails in real time. Okay, so here's the thing. Do not call. Do not call. No. You must email. Give us the email once again if you're calling e- from west of the Rockies. The email or, do- or typing is, from west of the Rockies. Email is techtalk at stratford.edu. Okay, got it? Yes. Good. There we go. Moving now, along. Now, moving along. Uh, and if you li- put in your phone number, we could call you back and maybe talk on the air. If we, no, no, we can't. Oh, we can't. Oh, we can't. Oh, <laughs> we can't do that. Everything's we can, dead. We can call you from our cell phone, Yeah. but I'm not going to do that. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not going to do that. Okay, while we're waiting for these emails to come in, uh, let me talk if about a in. few things. Yeah. <laughs> the Earth's magnetic pole has officially moved. Now, it's drifting so fast that authorities have officially redefined the location of the magnetic north. Now, the Earth's magnetic field wanders around, and in the past, it's actually flipped direction. The Earth's magnetic field is a result of a spinning molten iron and nickel mass about 1,800 miles below the surface. As the flow of molten metal in the outer core changes over time, it alters the external magnetic field. Now, the world magnetic field model has just been updated with a new position. Now, normally they update every five years because it doesn't move that fast. The last update was 2015. They couldn't wait until 2020 because it's moving too fast, so they updated it in 2019. So the, the, the North Pole now is moving at 34 miles a year. Uh, that, that's just something you can oh, talk, you can talk about this at a cocktail party. Now my head's spinning. Now, isn't the North Pole supposed to be stationary? Well, the actual North Pole of the rotating Earth is stationary, but the magnetic North Pole, which depends on this rotating molten mass of iron and nickel, actually actually is not perfectly aligned. And it's moving at 34 miles an hour toward Russia. 
Now, just a half century ago, the, the, the North Pole moved at about seven miles an hour. So, uh, you know, so and it actually occasionally it flips. It turns out that it flipped 780,000 years ago. We had a flip. And in the past 83 million years, it's flipped 183 times. Wow. But we don't we don't think it's getting close to a flip. It just is moving and wandering around a little bit. So let me see here. Uh, I don't have any emails coming any in. Emails. No, I don't have any emails coming in at techtalk at stratford.edu, uh, which I'm looking on my cell phone, and hopefully the Wi-Fi network works here in the studio. Yeah, I think, that, that works. I think it it's, does. So I'm just checking working. on this thing. So let's talk about something else that's interesting. Bird Please. scooters are being hacked. You know, they, mm -hmm. they were all over. They were all over, you know, uh, uh, Washington, D.C. They're all over Baltimore. They're just people are just going all over the place. And it turns out you can hack them. Now, if you want to hack them in a way that's very pretty, you can actually order. <laughs> pretty? A, now, yeah. Well, you see, mean without wrecking the scooter? Some people just just knock off the electronics and, and it looks ugly. But you can buy a $30 a circuit board. And you can replace the circuit board that comes in the electronic scooter, and the thing will work just perfectly. Hmm. So an article published last month describes a large number of bird computers that were dumped on city streets. And they said how nice it would be to invest in a $30 scooter conversion kit. The kits ship from China. They're essentially a plug-and-play way to disable bird recovery and payment features to turn the scooter into your own personal scooter. The story mentions you could also potentially acquire one of the bird scooters from an auction. For around a dollar a piece. Hmm. Hmm. Bird sent boing boing a notice <laughs> claiming infringement to alert the publication that writing that writing about this issue could potentially result in illegal action under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Bird sent a letter to the article writer, Corey Doctorow, and says you can't promote this. But actually it is being happening. And I know in um, in Washington, D.C. and in Baltimore, the kids have found a way just to knock the thing off. So yeah. I don't know whether the business model for for bird scooters is going to work or not. It just, it just depends how honest the general public I've is. I've actually seen YouTube videos of people showing you how to, 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 to do hack it. them. The thing is there's different versions of these scooters. So, there, so, so you have to learn how to hack into each one. That's right. That's exactly right. Now, uh, there's nobody no, – you can email who was the inspiration behind, uh, behind our profile in IT, yes. Dr. Hoover, mm -hmm. Erna Hoover, Dr. Erna Hoover. Who was her inspiration to become a scientist? You can email that answer to techtalk at stratford.edu. Tell you what, let's take a little bit, okay. bit of a break here. We'll take a breather and maybe have a cognac or something. Oh, that sounds yeah, good. Be good. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. You can watch us do this mess by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following <laughs> us at WFED Tech Talk. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now listen, just remember, we still have the profile on NIT question active. Who was the inspiration that encouraged Dr. Erna Hoover to become a scientist? You can email your answer to techtalk at stratford.edu and we'll read it right on the air. Now, Apple Maps is, is giving us turn-by-turn directions in India, which is pretty, pretty nice, you know. Indian roads are pretty complicated. I've been using Waze all over India for years when I'm there. Not that I drive, but I just like to keep track of where I am. And That's Waze, a good question. So and Waze you, has been giving me turn by turn for a long time, and finally Apple Maps has caught up. So you have a driver. So w w what do you use when you, do you get a car, or how do you? What I have do you a, do? I just have a driver because I and I'd never find anything. Do they have Uber and Lyft and stuff like that over there? What do you, is it, or is it a different type of system? Yeah, it's a different type, and and you and the thing is, you, you can you can actually they've got Uber for these little putt putt car, and these are little uh, these little what they go tuk tuks. And so they've got Uber for a little small. They're almost like a three-wheeler. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, they've, yeah, yeah. They've, they've got three-wheeler Ubers. Now, one of the problems is— But you is, drive it yourself or no, somebody no, else is no, driving no. it? No, no, somebody, so somebody else, somebody it's else like, does. It's like being chauffeured around in a golf cart. S chauffeured around in a golf cart. And so Uber's not that big there. The other thing, many times in foreign countries, they won't take U.S. credit card. They just take the local credit card. So uh. it really hasn't— taken off there like you would expect but the turn by turn uh turn by turn uh you know use is pretty good i would like to drive i've been there to, to new delhi and around there enough i would like to drive take my shot at driving but i don't know if the insurance company would allow me to handle oh we got hey that we got, got here yeah oh we've got here four four calls are coming in here here we go jim you can you can just you can just You're click gonna, on oh let wait, me let me take the, let me take the first one here <laughs> <laughs> the first one that came, the first one came in at nine thirty-seven, and uh, from Ferozcon. The next one came in from Tom Shum right at nine thirty-seven, but just a snare after that. Then Ken Kovler came in at snare. nine thirty-seven, but just a little bit after. So I've got split-second ordering. Jim Tilton came <laughs> in at nine thirty-seven, and Susan Church came in at nine thirty-seven. But the first one that came in on my cell phone, and that's the one that I'm. Uh, Looking at here is from Feroz Khan. It was Madame Marie Curie, and that is correct. That is the correct answer. And you know what else I can't find right but, now? I can't find our winning music. I so. know. That's okay. So That's the, all right. That's okay. This you actually, this I told actually the boss, works. You give me two microphones, we'll give you a show. So I can tell you, <laughs> Tom Shum got the right answer. Uh, Ken Kovler got the right answer. Jim Tilton got the right answer. Susan Church got the right answer. But they were all just a fraction of a second after Rose Khan, who is the big winner. Congratulations there. Great job. We have, we have 
we, we found the winning music. So that, that email works pretty well because it, it time stamps everything to a fraction of a second. To take the phones and rip them out. We don't exactly. Need them. We, don't need we, don't need, we have, we have revolutionized. We have revolutionized <laughs> it's the radio truly show. truly a digital program now. So let me talk a little bit my observations about education in the world. Can Those, we do this real fast? Because yeah. I don't want to mess with... You know, our automation computer here. Let's okay. take a break. All right. You can come back and you can spend all the time you would like okay. on um, on your trip. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday at 9 from the brand new studios of Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. One oh let's try that again. <laughs> Stop laughing at me. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2 and 103.9 FM HD2. Watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app. And following us at WFED Tech Talk. We're learning things about our new studio. We're learning that the soundproof glass is not soundproof. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, well, the, the internet, and well. IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technologies. Let's talk about my observations on education in the world. Yes. I've done a lot of traveling. I just got back from 10 days in Pakistan. I went to Karachi and Lahore. I've spent a lot of time in India. We've got a joint venture partnership there. We have a, got a campus in New Delhi. We're getting a second location there in Turk. I've been with Sri Lanka, talking to the folks there. I just spent a couple of weeks in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we, we, we just set up a campus in Iraqi Kurdistan, in Erbil, Kurdistan, which is like six hours north of, uh, of, um, of uh, Baghdad, actually. It's very quite safe in Iraqi Kurdistan. I've been to Baremi, Oman, and many, many other countries. And... Every place I go in the world, they're seeking what is the holy grail in education, trying to graduate students who have a growth mindset, who aren't afraid to take a challenge and aren't afraid to fail and believe that actually they learn through failure and they will push themselves to the limit. A growth mindset is really the key to being able to build a career or build a business or to innovate. But they are challenged by the legacy of the British education system. So the British education system was set up as lecture, memorize, and test. 
Now, that system was designed not necessarily to create innovative students. It was designed to educate people for the British bureaucracy. They wanted everybody to be in a, their machine, their bureaucratic machine, a cog in the machine. They didn't want you to re-engineer your cog. They just wanted you to be that cog forever. So they basically taught the skills that were required to run the bureaucracy, but they were not trying to make people innovative, make people who would challenge the system. So we have to change the educational system to develop that growth mindset, and, our, and leaders in all the countries are, are focusing on how to do that. So let's talk a little bit about how the brain works. This is what I was talking about in other countries. It sort of informs us as to how we should teach. It turns out the brain, the human being, is really uh, most the large portions of the brain are unprogrammed at birth. It's just replications of neurons and synaptic interconnections that are in the in the frontal portion of the, the brain and is completely unprogrammed. You learn how to see, you learn how to walk, you learn how to hear, you learn how to think, you learn language, all of that you learn after birth. Now, the reason the brain is set up that way, it was a way to get around to the information constraints of our human genome. The human genome, each position could be one of four proteins. That's, a, that's, that's actually a two-bit piece, two bits of information. So if you calculate the length of that file size, the human genome is about 720 um, megabytes. That fits on a CD. That's, that's a human genome. Say the, human gen the, the genome of earthworm fits on a floppy disk. There's only so much information that can be programmed in the human genome. And basically, it's a biological engine that will just build hardwire, um, you know, all the body. But you can't really, you don't have enough information to build a full, you know, human mind with cognitive processing, uh, you know, programmed from the day, from the day you're born. So in order to get around the constraints, the the mind basically has replication of identical layers of neurons with interconnected neurons, layer after layer. They fold these layers up so they can get more surface area. And it doesn't take much information to create these unprogrammed cells. And then man is endowed with this enormous creativity. It's like a self-learning engine. It's just incredible. So you look at a baby. A baby learns language without a textbook, without a lecture, and without a test. They learn language on their own because they – and they're curious about everything. They want to explore everything. The world is just one big laboratory for a baby. And so we're born with this innate uh, curiosity to learn, and then we send kids to school. We grade them, and then they start asking questions like, is it on the test? And you look at kids <laughs> sleeping in a lecture. And so how, so we've taken this beautiful learning engine, and we've just um, – and we're not teaching in a way that's optimized for the way we learn. Well. And it seems like the 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 question um, is it going to be on the test? Is the the constant search for a shortcut? It's no. What oh. it is, it the, the problem with traditional education, it's extrinsic motivation. Once you add grades, if kids start studying to get a good grade instead of to learn something, uh huh, they the, it external motivation corrupts the process. So. People, if they're working in the field, if, if once you start working, if you chase money, uh, when you get uh, you get rich, you get a big house, you're not going to really be happy. That's kind of the false goal. Well, the false goal in school is to have a high GPA. It doesn't really – you're not learning for the joy of learning. So this external motivation actually corrupts education to the core. So if you look at how 
if you look at how uh, there, there are two lessons on how these neurons work, and I'm, I'm, I'll just try to give it in like two three minutes how these neural networks. We work. got plenty of time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We got no problem here. So let's just take one layer of these neurons. A neuron is either on or off. And they're interconnected with these little interconnects that, that have synaptic values in them. And, and the synapse can change value, and it can make the, the connection stronger or weaker. And so when you're learning, the, synapsic, the synaptic values change uh, value, and they change value until finally there is a neural activation pattern, which is stable. That means neural activation pattern means some neurons off, some neurons off. You can picture this layer of neurons like stars in the sky, the stars that are on are the neurons that are on. So you get a pattern of on neurons, and that would be a memory that has been stabilized by having the synaptic values change. Now, what we learn from that, first of all, is that learning rate depends on how easily, how quickly the synaptic values change as is exposed to new data. Learning capacity depends on how many neurons there are and how many interconnects. So it turns out that learning rate and learning capacity are, are independent variables. This is a key element that has not been fully recognized in education. We've got an educational system which is time-based. You know, you go to school for one year, uh, three-semester classes, 45 contact hours, and it's one semester. Everything is time-based, time-based. So suppose a student is on a, uh, we'll call it a three-week conveyor belt, and every three weeks they're tested. But they're a four-week learner, so they're tested in three weeks, and they get a D. If they could study the material for four weeks, they'd get an A. So over time... The four-week learner on the three-week conveyor belt thinks he's a D student instead of a four-week learner. And even educators get this confused. They say, oh, he's a slow learner, implying that he has low capacity. Mm -hmm. It's not at all. Do you care if you've got a baker if it took him four weeks or three weeks to make the best bread in the world? You just don't care. So that's the first thing you learn from how the brain works. The second thing you learn from how the brain works is that if you excite one part of this neural network— it will automatically activate the rest of the neural network. One part excited activates the rest. Now, computer lingo, that's called an associative memory. You associate one part with another. So it turns out when you're teaching, you want to teach, and you learn then through analogy. The, the brain is just set up to learn through analogy. So what you do is, like one time I was teaching computer networking. We had 10 protocols, I had 10 classes. I could have taught one protocol a class. But what I did, I decided to spend five weeks going in depth on TCP IP. I just let the, the kids, like, invent their own protocol using the same standards that Bob Kahn and Vint Cerf had, Vint Cerf had back in the summer of 1973. And they spent five weeks deeply understanding TCP IP. Then it turned out the other nine protocols, boom, they could learn in a week through analogy. So you learn something deep, and then you learn the related materials through analogy. So we tend in education, if we focused on tests, to, to, to teach everything in a shallow way so you learn almost nothing about everything. You have to actually learn something deeply. This, the third lesson that you get from neural nets, and this, this all applies to how you teach, is that if part of the neural network is slightly activated, it's, it's set up to activate very easily. So if, if I would go out at night and tell you there's a man with a knife behind the bush— and you were that thought was activated in your mind. You would see a man with a knife behind the bush everywhere. On the other hand, and so how does that relate? You've got selective perception. Uh, it actually relates to students. If, if they believe they'll be successful, they see opportunities for success. If they believe they're going to be failures, they see opportunity for failures. So this relates back to the growth mindset. So these three lessons inform 
how we should be taught, and you teach by doing projects. This is what all these guys in other countries, all these educators want to do. They want us to come over there and teach project-based education where we give projects to these students that match the level that they're at. You want a project that's super challenging that, that the student doesn't think he can really do it. So, but it's not too hard, so you as a teacher know he can do it. But it's not too easy, so he's bored. So you got a project that's not too hard and not too easy. We call it the Goldilocks project. And if a student completes enough projects that are really difficult, pretty soon he says, you know, I'm not bad. I'm pretty good. And he develops a growth mindset. This is the opposite way of teaching from lecture, memorize, and test. And if you look at you know, all this learning theory, which is in Bloom's taxonomy, the bottom end of it is like is – like, um, you know, uh, it's like uh, memorize, understand, apply. It's like you, you, you know the names of the plant, you understand what, the, what each part of the plant does, and you apply it to a different kind of plant. But the top level of this, which is, uh, which is analyze, evaluate, and create, you can only do that by working on projects. And analyze, evaluate, and create is where you really get true learning, and that's through project-centric education. So we've been all over the all over the world doing this, and there are educators in these countries, pockets of educators who who really are doing this. But by and large, the majority of the schools I find are you know patterned after the old British method, but they know they've got to fix it. So my last, uh, my last trip to Pakistan, there were two universities I want to mention. We had the Habib University in Karachi, really an innovative school. They, they have developed a, a building which requires interaction. They have small classes for that area of the world, you know, 20, 20 to 22 students. It's all project-centric. They've got a lot of interaction areas. It's highly, it's highly project-centric. And the interesting thing, it is also, it's, it's only undergraduate, and they concentrate on two things. They want to teach a discipline like a technology or, say, social science, but they combine it with a strong liberal arts component. They want students to be able to think critically. Now, if, if you remember our, our profile in IT woman, she got a Ph.D. in philosophy her, her bachelor was philosophy and history, and her Ph.D. was in philosophy and mathematics. So she, she combines sort of liberal arts with, with technology. And what they're trying to do at a Habib University, which is really good, they, they want people to analyze who they are and be highly reflective on who they are. They want them to learn logic and communication skills, debating skills, as well as learning science. It's really an innovative school. I'm super impressed with it. Then the, another school that I was equally impressed with was the Information Technology University, ITU in Lahore, Pakistan. They've got some very high-level information technology folks there, and these kids are working on projects. They're building robots. They're building, uh, you know, building all kinds of, uh, of uh, you know, machine learning appl applications. And the 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 degree of engagement on the part of the students is is tremendous. So. These schools that, that I met, and there were others too, but these I think were the most, the ones that really understood it in, in the most dramatic way, this project-centric teaching. And so they actually teach sort of to the elite, I would say. And so now the challenge is how can you get those teaching methods out to the, to the you know, to the, to the broad base, to the 50% to, to the or 70% that can't go to the elite schools. So we've been starting to work on some faculty development programs over there to try to teach project-centric education to, to all faculty because if you teach that method, if you come off from the lecture, memorize, and test and teach that project-centric work across the board, you can elevate, you can elevate the economic position of a country if you have 
graduates who truly do have a growth mindset. And that's what all these education leaders in these countries are after. They're after a growth mindset because they know that they have to create information. So actually going out on these trips is really invigorating for me because I meet I meet people that are engaged and I can see that education heals the world. It makes it makes a difference wherever you go. So back. I'm glad to be back, but I'll tell you, I really love this trip to Sounds Pakistan. Sounds like a great trip. Yes. We have some time left. Do you want to talk about the Apple AirPod thing? Yeah, let's talk about the Apple AirPod. It can be used for spying. So it turns out what you can do, this is very interesting. You can, uh, you can take your Apple iPod and you can put it into a mode called Live Listen, where it will listen to everything that's, that's being uh, said around your iPhone. So you, what you could do, you could leave your iPhone sitting on a table in one room, you could walk to the next room, you'd put your iPhone in the live listen mode, and everything that's said in that room will come back to, to your iPods. Wow. Now, you could also put set up live listen for your for your Apple Watch. So you could put your Apple Watch, say, on the, the kitchen table, and then you could sit in the dining room and hear all the whispers going on in the kitchen. Wow. So this, this – this, now, what, what this – dangerous. This live listen, it was not invented for spying. It was invented for the hearing impaired. Really? Yeah, so – This is just a nefarious – uh, purpose for I know it's mm-hmm. just it's just it's, it's just my, okay. It, so did it, you read about this or did you just think did I've your already, twisted little mind connect the dots? I've here? already I've, well I read about it and I've tested it out. I've already <laughs> of course tested you it have. Out. But you, but you can see how nice it is if if somebody is hearing impaired they could have a couple of iPods then they could give their iPhone to somebody and the other person could speak in the iPhone and they could hear it very clearly. Mm-hmm. So it was really developed for the hearing impaired, but it has been used in nef- nefarious ways. I'll bet. Yeah. So now, you, should we? Are we just going to go to the we got, end? We got forty seconds here. We got okay. Crypto boss dies with Bitcoin passwords. Consumers of a Canadian cryptocurrency exchange were unable to access one hundred and ninety ninety million dollars worth of funds. Their founder, Gerald Cotton, a thirty year older who died due to complications from Crohn's disease while traveling in India, died with the passwords. For security purposes, he was the only one who had the passwords, and all the cryptocurrency was in cold storage. His wife has his laptop. She doesn't know the password to get on the laptop, and she doesn't know the security password to get at device encryption. They've given it to people to try to come up with a way to decrypt these these cryptocurrency, and they can't do it. So it looks like these customers are going to lose $190 million in crypto funds. So if you can use one of these storage units, beware. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And make certain to check out the Stratford University website at www.stratford.edu and tell them that you heard about all these great programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? 
Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.